Welcome to Nameless Debate Radio, where radioactivity is contagious. I think that there's a lot of people that believe you saying they're wrong is an attack upon their person, not their ideas, because of social conditioning. I agree with that. Yeah, I, I would I would say that's true as well, but well, like, uh, I don't really know what the way around it is, because when you're saying that that's the idea that's wrong, it's like a more fundamental attack than any other. Especially if there's attachment to the idea. Due to some yeah, like, it's like, it's defensive, though. There's always going to be attachment to that idea, you know? Like, it's defensive. It's like, okay, so, like, if you tell me I'm wrong in a way that makes me feel as if you've hurt my feelings, you know, mm-hmm. it makes me feel in the moment like you've done something wrong. Well, Even isn't if you there, know- I mean, wouldn't the objective then be a lack of attachment itself? Yes, of course, but what we're talking about is the fact that, um, like, a lot of people in society... Um, and like in my experience, um, this problem is like a bit more Sorry, predominant. I should, in, among... in I should say in general, not itself, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in my experience, this particular problem of uh, what we, were, what Eddie and I were talking about, was attachment to intuition. It's um, it's a touch more prevalent in women, as far as I can tell, because like they're really good at intuition. They're better at it than men, and that protects them and so like any defense mechanism of the thing that protects them is a good one it's a good defense mm-hmm. mechanism. on average sure i mean i will say like hasn't it hasn't it been shown that like as far as like the female sex is concerned that like they tend to have a higher degree of emotion uh, i don't think uh, that they actually have higher have... emotion i what don't no, no, no. They're more susceptible no, to their hormones. No, no, no. I should say, I should say heightened sensitivity. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I want to be careful. I want to be careful to, like... No, but I don't think I should say, like, emotion, motion. No, 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 no. No, no, no. I understand. I understand. Like, like again, part of it is tiredness, which is, like, why I'm, like, cringing at the fact that you're, like, recording this shit. (laughs) (laughs) The echo is atrocious, too. Yeah, the other thing I was gonna say is that, like, I want to avoid, like, pseudoscientific claims, so just gotta be careful. For For sure. 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 No, that was just an observation, you know, in my experience. Like, that attachment to intuition happens to be um, a touch more prevalent among the women I've met than among the men. I've found that to be the case with me personally as well. Like I learned how to be more intuitive through my wife and Mm -hmm. I modeled her behavior and way of kind of using and navigating with her intuition. And then I started to just become a better listener by, I think there's like this, underlying signal that the embodied presence of being human let's say Mm -hmm. is is transmitting along with the words that we use to describe our predicaments absolutely yeah but these are like what we're talking about just to be clear are like micro behaviors like facial expression and body language and word choice and tone and you know all sorts of stuff that um you can see even without training, once you're mm-hmm. actually paying attention, 
but right. which when you're not paying attention completely escape you dude i think the thing that this allows us to pay attention to that stuff is other emotional problems that like kind of take up bandwidth or ram or something like that in the brain like if we have a uh, finite well, I mean, limit most of the time probably but like also like intellectual problems like if you're sure. puzzling over something like rational and someone is talking to you you're probably going to miss a couple of the cues that they're trying to give you for Even sure if dude. You're not trying to, you're trying to, like consciously i think that's I think yeah yeah and things like describing my general function like yeah oh, the, hey yeah, the, hey like i'm focused on like how how these like blocks in like a metaphorical analogy relate to each other and like i don't realize like the shit that's like right in front of me like visually sometimes because i'm more thinking i guess of like the image in my mind and abstract representation it's yeah but it's like very like it's very vivid for me so it's like it's like like directly obscuring what's just right in front of me sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I experienced that too. I think what we're describing though is like less about the specificity of the situation and more about attention in general, right? Like it's it's mm-hmm. an attention problem. If you're focused on something else, then obviously you're not going to be focused on what's in front of you. Um, but the point that we were making is that sometimes what's in front of you can produce something that looks like intuition. Well, I mean, it is intuition. It looks like what would you say, mystical understanding in some sense, Mm. because someone tells you something that as far as you can tell, they have no way of knowing. And maybe they can't even tell you how they know. And Mm -hmm. it turns out to be true. And there's some repeatability to it. And you start Mm -hmm. to wonder like, what exactly is this intuition that's resulting in this experience? And that's like, again, similar to what we were saying the other day about synchronicity, right? Because Mm -hmm. like synchronicity is like, this coincidence, but it's a coincidence in a way that's a coincidence on a couple of other levels. And one of the coincidence levels is usually um, of uh, like personal subjective significance, right? And it's like mm-hmm. when you think of the fact that it's significant to you and you think of all of the coincidences involved, the improbability of the event skyrockets to the point where you don't understand how it could come about except through the contrivance of some other force Mm. interesting i think the word that i really appreciate that kind of gets at the heart of what you're describing is the word syzygy like the alignment of three or more celestial bodies is it's a pataphysical term but Mm -hmm. it's it's the idea that like you get this subjective significance like as one of the first layers of attention grabbing or pay attention to what's happening and then the next layer up from that, you kind of are reflecting back on the memory of, let's just say, a set of different empirical facts or data points or theories or just sets of information that we have come to either memorize or intuit or some other way of kind of pinging back and forth between that subjective significance and the memory of the relevance of how it fits into the whole kind of grand worldview or picture. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of get another layer up above that is the layer where I believe the tendency to paranoia and schizophrenia and several other mental health conditions um, are so slipperly, uh, slipperly, 
um, able for us to to kind of fall at that point because we're not really standing on certainty in any sense of the word at that point. It's really just like the alignment of a really good feeling that's mm-hmm. propping up our ability to even self-perceive at that point that unless you have others that have a shared experience that give you that kind of inner subjective accord of a, what could be a transcendental layer, mm-hmm. uh, that's the space where I think so many shysters and gurus and snake oil salesmen and just people that smuggle in unnecessary abstraction that they find subjectively significant because they got there using it. It has utility or it has pragmatic value or something like that. They get lost in the bedazzlement of that kind of thing. And then, I, yeah, I, I want to just like reaffirm that and say, it. I, I do think that like ambiguity is like a great, a great avenue to be misled. It is. Yeah. It, it leads people off into the space of, I'm going to make this mean what I want it to. Definitely. Mean. And I think like, um, because of like <clears throat> our current, like the modern philosopher's obsession with the pragmatic theory of truth, mm-hmm. I would say that the over-identification of the pragmatic potency of metaphor and simile leads mm-hmm. people to make conclusions which aren't valid about like the foundation of linguistics as in being a like transcendental foundation. You know what yeah. I mean? Like. If we think about Chris Langan's idea, that's essentially what it is. It's something like, you know, the world actually is the language you use to describe it. Um, it's just mm-hmm. a higher, what would you say? Manifold a higher, or something. A higher order language. Yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah so, yeah, I ha- yeah, yeah. yeah, so I have an idea, right? So there's like this, there's like this like lack of clarity in like certain parts of language specifically and like i'm gonna use that to sell like these super vitamin pills which are like extremely (laughs) important (laughs) listen to me they're gonna make you regrow a leg i promise (laughs) you will have have any appendage that you have lost i promise you you just have to use this horny goat weed yes you just have to give me money without a refund yes yes and use some fancy mantras to activate the charcoal and the teeth whitener. Well, so I'm going to like add this like disclaimer that you have to like have the right attitude when doing it. And it's going <laughs> to be so ambiguous that like you can't decipher like what that really means and find a pathway to actually reach it. So like if you don't actually achieve your goal, then I'm just going to chalk it up to you being a failure at that specific part. Yeah, you're not enough like me. <laughs> That's the favorite attitude, man. Basically, get get good, kid. Yeah, basically. <laughs> if you were more you were like more... me, you would see how brilliant I am. Ah, oh, that's the one. That's the yeah. stuff, man. That's the ticket. <laughs> oh man, I know all the good condescension tropes. Oh man, I've heard most of them used against me. <laughs> oh, I, I've heard them used against you too. It's like it's fun to see i'm like a a fucking honey trap for that kind of person i think you are and there's something weird about it because i i think of it as like kids throwing ice cubes at the sun to try and cool themselves (laughs) off it's an interesting one (laughs) but it's just that you're dude i was actually this is something that came up today and it has to do with kind of the location of an object like trying to like i have a two-year-old daughter and she's kind of sick right now like she has a cold 
So she's not thinking fully because she's got like this snotty nose and it's just, it's really hard to get her attention. Um, tried to tell her, uh, like her food was on the table and she was like looking in the opposite direction. And then I tried to instruct her sense of attention with language and she kept looking the wrong direction. And it ultimately had to be what I would consider the thing that Matt does when it comes to like logic and argument and all that, just like directly taking my finger in front of her eyes and pointing so that she couldn't miss it at the thing that I was instructing her to look at. (laughs) That's a really interesting analogy, man. So let let me try and tie it together now. Like Mm -hmm. nine times out of 10, what I experience people doing when they're interfacing with your arguments is you're instructing them to look in a particular direction. And by the nature of their questions, comments, concerns, and what have you, their feedback, they're looking kind of ostensibly in the opposite direction. And then you Mm -hmm. tell them, no, turn around. They do a 360. And you're like, you're looking in the same direction you started. <laughs> Can you do a 180? And they're like, they turn maybe 45 degrees from that point. And you're like, no, a little bit more. Go on. Mm-hmm. So like, what was the topic you were talking about just before? So I was thinking about the, the kind of, I, I guess we could call it the architecture of belief and what ends up happening to an individual so that Let's say that someone rejects philosophy and they're just not interested in philosophy whatsoever. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I kind of see that person as submitting to a type of religious architecture, whether it's via society, via an actual religion, uh, a government, an economic system, a family, a job. All of these structures have a guiding mythos, if you will that mm-hmm. informs the behaviors of the people in that group. And the people take that for granted. They don't question it if they want to remain in that group. So they're kind of beholden to a, a clergy class, if you will, that interprets the things that would be philosophy, but that it kind of transposed into religious tenets and doctrines and dogmas. Okay. So let's take um, the, the scientific example of this then. What would you say the scientific example of this is? So like if, if we were to look at science as a whole, as uh, a religion, and mm-hmm. the ones that are doing the actual science as the clergy, mm-hmm. and then the ones that interpret what the actions of those who are doing all the experiments and making all the measurements mm-hmm. as kind of like the preacher class, the ones that are Mm -hmm. being the ones giving the sermons and communicating those interpretations. The audience that receives that stuff that isn't doing the experiments themselves, they're kind of like, they're kind of beholden to a type of upgrade in religious architecture, if you will. Upgrade. Interesting. It seems like an upgrade. So how is it religious architecture still? It's, to me, the people that receive the message of science and accept it without philosophical validation or the kind of rigorous logic that would underpin knowing what the scientists are doing because you can follow the methodology or observe the guiding principles that they're using to inform mm-hmm. you know, all their experiments and all that. Okay. Uh, 
that they end up just kind of taking a truncated version of all of what philosophy could offer them in terms of freedom to think through things uh, critically and have a kind of coherent worldview and more or less compose themselves so that they didn't require a clergy class or a preacher class. That okay. they would then so, but like, be the scientists, if you will. I guess my question is like, um, <clears throat> like what's the philosophically sound way to approach it? You know, like when Stephen Hawking says that um, something about the universe is true according to his understanding of the physics of the universe, but I don't understand any of the like mathematics that he's doing. How is it that I'm justified in supposing that what he thinks is true is in fact true, since there's no way for me to test it in terms of like. I just don't know how. Dude, that's, that's a really excellent question, actually. Uh, that, to me, seems like a, there, either there's going to be like a self-originating, I want to learn this because I want to learn this feeling, so like an autodidact or self-teacher, or <laughs> there's going to be something contrary to that that is pretty much fine with taking information as it comes. That's so, interesting, though, because like that's, an, that's a dichotomy you're presenting, right? I, I, I would like to present Mutually exclusive way. options, yeah? Yeah. But I think like that there could be a third option, you. because I don't identify with either of those. I am a teacher self, but I don't understand the math. I've, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to teach either. myself the math. The that's where I would... Asking, right, is I about... Would well, let me, let me say this. Like, I personally think that you and I both have to submit to the same kind of religious architecture to a clergy class of mathematicians. Mm -hmm. But what, take, what justifies it in some cases and not others? I would say the level of education that one is using. Mm, to, what does that mean? Mm, to me, that seems the like level, I'm saying... The, the level of education... Yeah, so like if they either self-educated or educated on what though? On the let's say the topic of mathematics. Okay, but let's say we're talking about physics, right? Okay. And like I am educated a little bit on physics and mathematics because I learned it in science, you know. And okay. like, um, like in terms of like I, 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 in terms of like the phenomenon of physics, the phenomena. Sorry, mm -hmm. I happen to know like a lot like a lot about like various types of them because I'm interested in it, even if I don't understand the ways that the scientists are coming to their conclusions. I'm still like absorbing some information about it. I know things about physics, even if I don't know how to do the calculations myself. But the question that I'm posing to you is, what justifies my trusting that a physicist has their math right as opposed to the religious person trusting that the theologian has their theology correct? I believe it's logic is How's the answer that? to that. But am I checking it, it? To me, I think if you can check the structure of the argument that... Yeah, but it's not an argument. Like Stephen Hawking is like doing math. I can't test the math. And he's saying that like his calculations indicate X conclusion. And like maybe I can understand how what he thinks the... Uh, calculation shows might indicate what he says it does, but there's no way that I can verify that his calculation is valid, and that's what everything is like founded upon in his argument, right? Mm -hmm. mm. So, like, that since I can't check his calculation, why am I justified in drawing the conclusion that it is correct? 
I don't know if you would be justified in drawing the conclusion that it's correct. But I do draw that conclusion. I, I think it's fair to draw the conclusion. But well, then I'm, I'm justified. Mm. That, to me, is the space where it feels like a leap or a jump. And okay. I'm not sure if I'm... So if it's fair to think something, isn't it true that at the very least, to me, it is? it seems or appears to be sufficiently justified to support my confidence? Yeah, let me see if I can respond with an, a comparison or analogy here. Mm -hmm. uh, if we were to measure like Stephen Hawking's approximate distance from what it is that he's claiming is truth or is able to mathematically prove as a way to truth. Mm -hmm. um, if you're closer to him in, in distance to how you perceive yourself as relating to his informational like offerings, if you will, mm -hmm. and you can validate the position that you're in as, well, I can see what Stephen Hawking is meaning when he mm -hmm. says X, Y, and Z, mm -hmm. and here's what that means. And that, mm -hmm then that corresponds to my understanding of, of your course, understanding. Yeah, of course, yeah. But like, I feel like you've just put yourself in danger there because I would say that that's exactly what the common people are doing with the clergy, right? The preacher yeah. knows his theology. That is the layperson's interpretation. And the layperson says, well, like as far as my position, which is similar to his goes, what he says corresponds with what I think a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so that's how they validate their belief in what he's saying. But the, what I was asking is like, it doesn't matter how good you are rhetorically if your like basis for truth is incorrect. So like their fundamental assumption of a preacher is incorrect. And like any reasoning that they form off that assumption, even if it may be similar to yours, is going to be incorrect because the basis is incorrect and they can't check it, right? Like there's no way to check that there's a God. And that's the fundamental problem with the whole situation is that they can't check it, they can't prove it, they can't show you. It's faith, right? It's faith. And, and yes. in terms of all so the question is, but the question is, since it's faith, isn't it true that I'm putting a very similar, if not the same faith, in Stephen Hawking's abilities when I trust that his conclusion mathematically is true because that's the basis for his argument being true? And I can't accept that his argument correlating with my experience is enough grounds for truth when I don't understand how to evaluate its basis. Yeah, man, I, that, is, that is a bit troubling to me. Mm -hmm. uh, because I, what you're saying in terms of ultimate, I, I believe, is, is, is absolutely justified. But, but in how? terms of, uh, well, let me answer how after this point. Mm -hmm. um, for, let's say, the, the average Christian, mm -hmm. they're, they're not actually... Well, it's kind of demonstrable, demonstrable that they're not reaching into the actual ultimate, that they're just more or less in a pragmatic sense doing what is true enough mm -hmm. for their point of view. Mm -hmm. And I would say that it is a type of uh, order of magnitude that we're thinking of here. So Of true enough? Yes. So like the okay. order of magnitude that encompasses more true enough but true enough according to what standard, I believe, is the question. To a, a mathematical standard, let's say. 
No, but like, understand. how do I know that it is true enough according to that mathematical standard? Where am I deriving that uh, conclusion from? Because I think you're just, on the right track. I, this is probably is like, a different... The thing is, just quickly, the thing yeah. is that th this is justified. What I'm saying, like, I do believe. The thing that I'm saying about trusting that Stephen Hawking's conclusion is correct, I think that's justified, and you're on the right track to the justification, right? Okay. What you said was correct, but the question is, how is that correct? That might be what I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I use a phrase, uh, evidence-based trust, as an upgrade yep. to faith. So what's the evidence? The evidence would be that you've seen and proven to yourself that math is a justified true belief of some form. Okay, yeah. I accept that. That's not quite. That's not quite it. But that's good. it's not quite it. Yeah, it's just it's. So kind of... so, by what mechanism am I verifying that Stephen's Hawking that Stephen Hawking's math is true? I'm using a mechanism. I am. That's how I justify it. Right. But the the mechanism is not my evaluation because, as we've said, my evaluation isn't valid because I don't understand. Right. So what's the next big best thing? If I don't understand, what is the next best thing? I'm thinking intersubjective understanding. Close. Definitely, yes, correct. But the answer that I was looking for is people who do understand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Thanks. Like, it doesn't matter if I don't, as long as somebody does, because maybe they could explain it to me. And even if they can't, what I can deduce from the collective like field of mathematics and mm. theoretical physics is that when Stephen Hawking has done his math, all of the experts looked for me. And if they had found big problems with it, we would know about it. And the fact that they checked and that they know what they're talking about means that me checking would be a waste of time because I don't. So let me ask, is it like a form of checking the checkers? Um, it's sort of, I, I don't know, it's not exactly that, right? Because yeah. what I'm saying is that in every field that you aren't qualified, you just take their word for it. And the reason you do that is because you, you even if it is subconsciously, reason that even if you do not know how to verify that it is true, it's probably true that other people are checking. Well, this too, man, it might be easier for the for those that don't have that kind of connective knowledge between like mathematical know-how and mm -hmm. what would be mathematical faith mm -hmm. uh, that we can read if we lack that skill we can read humans in an easier way than we could read math so we can read like, the way humans in that field relate to each other like mm -hmm. is, this is essentially another way to phrase what you say i think i know what you're saying but i feel like that weakens the argument overall for whether or not it is a true understanding yeah, you know, because it, if you're relying on the intersubjectivity of the consensus, instead of like the fact that um, we're saying we're not saying that it the consensus is intersubjective and that's why it's true. We're saying that right. the consensus is intersubjective, and the fact that all the experts have all come to the same conclusion about the consensus means that the reasoning doesn't have any flaws as far as the experts who would know are concerned. Right. Right. And so, like, if it's in reasoning, like like you know specialty quantitative reasoning which i am literally just not qualified to assess then as long as i can be reasonably confident that qualified people in the field have checked the work and decided that there aren't any problems that's peer review 
then mm-hmm. I am justified in drawing the conclusion that the results are true. Yeah, it's a, it's a good reason to draw that conclusion. Of course. And it's, it's an interesting one to like come to understand because a genuine contention of a religious person is, you know, science is just your faith. And some part of that is true. You know what I mean? Like the way that people accept what scientists say when they don't understand it is definitely a faith-based idea. But at the same time, the scientists generally are not justifying their beliefs in science or their ideas about the world by faith, even if they do believe in a faith, because what they're saying is that, well, the faith doesn't help with the testing. So let's focus on what, you know, what Mm. we can test. Right, right. It's it's not like a prerequisite for the... Uh, I mean, act. they would say that it is, but the point is that it's not functionally involved. Right, right. Right? And so it's like the faith can't make your testing better. So even if you believe in it, leave it at the door because it's not. it's just not relevant. Right. Huh. Something like that. Yeah. Which would I be think- the pragmatic theory of truth in science, right? Right. And I think that there's like a a functional equivalent to that in terms of the almost like the collective value system that people operate by because they're they're really hanging heavily on does this work for their subjective preferences and in the case yeah. of Christianity, it checks off all the boxes that are morally relevant to an adherent to Christianity mm-hmm. and then I think like what you said about what weakens the argument for your position is this thing that's taken as a strengthening quality to a theist position. So for sure, yeah. That they read the people that are claiming to know rather than the content of what the people are claiming. Absolutely, yeah. I would definitely That seems to be a mechanism that faith kind of functions by. Yeah, faith is it for sure favors for sure mm-hmm. and the difference that i'm trying to draw now for my own sense of understanding is if you can't do the math or if i can't do the math that means we can't like directly check it but this process that we just outlined seemed like a form that's indirectly um maybe just a few degrees off from that mm-hmm. so it's like as close as we can personally get given our set of skills or whatever. Yeah, I would definitely, yeah, I, I agree with that. And it's okay. the sort of thing which is like, um, because our skills like set the scope of what we can perceive, like the um, method that we're using wouldn't even be like three degrees off, you know, it'd probably be like 30 or 40. And it's like, yeah. we can only see three of them. And every time <sighs> we course correct a little bit, we see a little bit more how, wrong we have been in the Mm -hmm. past and how maybe we could go about being right in the future. And it's not until you've done most of that correction already that the truth that always was obvious starts to look that way to you again. Yep. And that right there, that point is a bit of what I mean. Like it's, there's a mundane quality to truth that is so easy to overlook so that it seems as though it's the thing that, that should be ignored because it's so mm-hmm. obvious or it's so taken for granted. Absolutely. So like I, I remember, oh, I think I'm not so sure exactly what philosopher it was. I thought it was Nietzsche and beyond good and evil, but I remember I was reading 
a book of philosophy. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. I think it was Nietzsche. But anyway, um, and basically the philosopher runs through like all of the like most primary con- concepts that we have. And I like I remember I see I'm almost certain it is beyond good and evil. I see relativity in there and it's like it's like one of eight. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. like it's not as if people didn't know, you know, like right. we did. Of course we did. But it's just that there's shitloads to look at and who the fuck knows which one is the most important one. It's not immediately clear, you know? Mm-hmm. And like when the thing that you're using, um, like basically underpins all of the ways that you can interpret the world, mm-hmm. it's very, very difficult to differentiate it. Um, like in terms of like, you're, you're not looking at it. You know what I mean? Like you're looking yeah. at whatever conclusion you're using it to derive and to look directly at it is really difficult. It's like looking directly at your nose. Well, yeah, you almost have to kind of like pull to a behind-the-scenes look or yeah, break definitely. the fourth wall, it's so like, to speak. But yeah, it, it's something like, you know, when you're in a car and you can't see into your blind spot and mm. then you sort of forget that you have the blind spot. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Like bad totally. drivers, when they don't check their blind spot, it's sort of like the fact that they can't see it means that they sort of actually genuinely forget that it's there. And like when not only can you not see it, but you're not conceptualizing it, you're doubly blind to what is. Ooh, that's a really good point, man. The double blind. Mm-hmm. Of like... And it's like blind on a, on a like elevated level realistically, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because not only would you be blind if you knew it was there, but also you don't know it's there, so you're not at all going to compensate for it. Hmm. That right there is the basis of revealing, I think, the, the area in our minds that can self-deceive. Sorry, say that again. So it's like the area in our our minds or brains or what have you that can self-deceive uh, seems to hide in that blind spot, that double blind spot. Oh, I, yeah, that's very, it's a very insightful thing to say, Eddie. I definitely agree with that. That's like, yeah. I think that, that like, that's exactly what it is because it's so fascinating to me to watch people in denial, like later admit to me that they did kind of know all along, mm-hmm. but then in the moment when they're in the denial, they're in the grips of it, the denial is such that they look like they believe what they're saying. Yeah. You know, it's like you have to rescue them from their delusion. And then when you have, they say, yeah, I put it there because it's hard. And it's like, what, how, how did it take you like that then? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's but what I want to That's just understand. sort of how it works. That's how they work. Is that Dude. like once you are tolerating a delusion of any kind, like mm-hmm. denial, mm-hmm. the boundaries of the delu- of the delusion are not something that you can keep appropriate track over. It, absolutely, that sounds very very true. Right, because as soon as you're letting there be delusion, you're not looking anymore for the delusion and ripping it out. And doing that means that it can spread a little bit and then a little bit more and then a little Mm -hmm. bit more. And all of a sudden you don't even know that you have this defense mechanism that, you know, in some part of, you knows you constructed it, but the other part of you is like, what's happening. Like I, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, you feel like the thing you're doing is justified and you have no idea it even is a defense mechanism. And it's interesting because 
when you consciously constructed it, you definitely knew, and that knowledge hasn't gone anywhere, but you're ignoring it in some sense because it suits your purposes. Yeah. In a way, you could say we're, we are what we pay attention to or ignore. I definitely, yeah, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. Like the, uh, or rather, it's more accurate to say we embody yeah. um, that within us that we pay attention to or that we ignore. I like that. That's a really good uh, uh, amplify to it. Amplifier. Like, amplifier, thank you. Amplification. Um, yes. <laughs> spew, spew some word salad at you. Well, it sounds like a, like the kind of thing that if you could kind of compassionately reveal some of the, the nuanced feelings that accompany that process of self-deception mm-hmm. in a way that was familiar in the, ver- in the vernacular of the person that was self-deceiving. Yep. I wonder about that process of, of dialogue so that, it, that, that you're essentially walking up to the edge of where you perceive the self-deception to have started. Yeah, I don't know. I can't. I've never been able to spot the beginning point because I feel like once you, once it's begun, the beginning point sort of uh, becomes nebulous. They're not even sure where the, where where it exactly it starts. What's funny because is I've done that. That's for my hel- kids, it's helpful, so. right? Because it means that if you're not sure where it starts, then when someone's sort of like trying to pin you down on it. Um, you say what you know, but you can't like get down to like saying something incriminating about yourself because ultimately like you don't, you aren't considering it as part of your relevant information. You know what I mean? Mm, And like, that's, that's the way that you get away with lying. And if you are considering it as your relevant information, then you hear people making the mistakes, like changing their tense. Like for instance, if they've killed someone, you know, they say like, um, they were really close to me and they don't notice. And it's like, it's stuff like that. You know, it's like the way that you talk reflects what you think and they correspond to each other in a way that we don't really understand such that after talking a certain way for a certain while, you get confused about what you think. Yeah. Cause lies are much more difficult to keep track of. Definitely, man. And they sort of like embed themselves in your perceptual structure. And it's very difficult to figure out how they got there if they're not true, because they, you forget, you just forget. Yeah, I think that's it. Well, that's what like I've noticed with my children and, and so far as I can help them pay attention to the areas where they are self-deceiving, like my, my youngest, she just, uh, is such a contrarian that you'll, <laughs> like she'll be holding a cup or something and she'll be like, I'll walk close to her and she'll say, no, don't take my cup. I'm like, honey, I'm nowhere near you. I don't want anything to do with your cup. Stop it. Don't take my cup. And it's like, she, she really means it though. She's like, <laughs> she's bit down hard like a bulldog and won't give up the accusation that you're after her cup somehow. And it's like it's an interesting one, right? It's very interesting because it's only starting now at you know the age. Well, of I two. think it's like it's because you like that's you first start to end, understand deception about that around that age, and what you do is you go, okay, so maybe you're deceiving me. Hmm, what would mm. you say if you were deceiving me? You'd probably tell me <laughs> that you didn't want my fucking cup, you lying piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, that falls right into my patterns. I've got yeah, you. Yeah, you know down. what I mean. Like it's like. I expect that you would say that to me, you know? <laughs> exactly what a cup stealer would say. <laughs> That's exactly the stuff, man. 
So, and I do think there's something to be said about, um, at least in childhood development, age of two, they're not called the terrible twos for no reason. That's usually when they start to experiment with like fictional frames of reference, like pretending to be something they're not. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, it's a, it's a, I've never really had the opportunity to observe a child, like conceive of lying but i feel like it would be very interesting i think you would get a kick out of it and probably man i feel like that would just it would really inform my understanding of what it is you know what i mean because like i don't even though i have a rough understanding of how you know it's sort of like it occurs to you at some point that like some people have said some things to you that weren't true (laughs) it's like what yeah you could do that. You know lie. what I mean? Dude, there's a yeah. great movie with Ricky Gervais called The Invention of I think of I've Lying. seen it, man. Yeah, it's I've a great seen, movie. I'm pretty sure I've seen it. Yeah, really it's good. A really good concept. Definitely, dude. <laughs> hey, you, what? No one knows how to lie? Just <laughs> imagine like being the first guy to discover that. Yeah, uh, you'd go crazy with it, man. Yeah. You'd do whatever you wanted. All powerful. But it's so interesting, right? Because then it brings up that like, really fascinating uh you know like i thought about it for a long time and it's like when you are able to do anything all of a sudden what there is no mechanism of value if you are limitless right absolutely the things that you value are like entirely based on the limitations which bind you and like the fact that you think things are urgent the fact that you think some things are better than others all have to do with the fact that like you know um you're running out of time and some you know if you don't prioritize things then you're not going to get the best out of it that you could right you won't get to all of it exactly and like people have a hard time stepping outside that mind frame but like if you can manage to think like what would it be like if i had forever and i never needed anything to live Mm -hmm. and the answer is you probably wouldn't get up to very much because like the things that motivate you are entirely based on the fact that you're limited. I couldn't like agree. Like the motivational more. systems which drive you, they're founded on limitation. And having no limitation, I don't see how you could have motivation in such a situation. Well, uh, one of my favorite thought experiments that uh, I think Terence McKenna uh, <laughs> characterizes really nicely is the uh, imagine you could do anything or be anything. And yep. he, he starts recounting like his kind of trivial human-based wishes that he would gratify at first. And like living in Versailles and having the entire, well, I think he said the Catholic library underneath, like just mm-hmm. access to all the information that he's ever, ever wanted to read and all yep. that. For sure, and he yep. says he gets like, you know, a few seconds into this and he starts going, no, but wait, I, I said anything. Like, why am I, why Versailles? Why this? And he mm-hmm. kind of dismantles the value set that he presently held. Absolutely, like, yeah. And he just because starts going like, "You go for fun." Like a, yeah, like, yeah. He, he says he does the cowboy yeehaw, and he just <laughs> blasts up into the sky and starts flying. So mm-hmm. you start experimenting with the idea of power, essentially. Yeah, like what could you do if you would do anything? And the answer to that, like I was saying, like it's different if you change from a limited being into an unlimited one. Do you know what I mean? Right. Because you probably would do quite a bit to begin with. Yeah. But it would grow boring. 
and Very eventually quick. the only thing that you would ever want to do is die because living yes. forever would not be good because the thing is that the things you can do are not always going to be interesting if you can do all of them and you have eternity to do all of them well where's the variety <laughs> you know Dude, god like, mode in a video game if you unlock it too soon it gets definitely the game is boring yeah. Exactly. Like I've all, I've felt that like, many times. I'm sure lots of uh, like, you know, uh, young teenage boys have. You know, you you cheat, figure out how mm -hmm. to cheat at a video game, and all of a sudden it's like, wow. So it's actually not fun. <laughs> you yeah, know, like exactly. turns out when you can win all the time, it isn't fun. What? How did that happen? It 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 goes contrary to what you would think from an unlimited form. Oh no, I'm sorry, I inverted that. From a limited form, you would think, gosh, I wish I could just win all the time. From an unlimited, kind of more all-informed form, you would have the exact opposite. Yeah, absolutely. It's very strange. Uh, well, this is kind of what I like to use the metaphor of God in explaining why it would go through the trouble of inventing a humanity perfect and then fall from grace and then climb back up kind of acquaint itself with pain and suffering and going away from that perfection that was just given granted and into a process of winding up in that same garden of eden perfection but because you worked for it so to speak mm -hmm. so like if you take genesis to revelation at least from my point of view, being raised as a Jehovah's Witness, they believed that um, it was a paradise as the promise of, you know, being a good human and staying faithful and all that. You get to live forever in paradise on earth after that. Don't question, you know, how that's all going to happen, because I think they think it's a magic wand kind of thing. Uh, but to me, the idea that humanity is special to the uh, fictional entity that God is, you know, trying to represent. It's, it's that it would be a metaphor for saying what an unlimited eternal, eternal being would eventuate as a game for itself to play. So it wouldn't have to be so lonely in essentially talking to itself or being eternal. That it would limit... Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, um, yeah, like I've heard a, like a very similar argument just in a truncated form, which was that like, you know, um, why, why do we exist, you know, mm -hmm. and it's sort of like, well, what are we? And the answer that they propose to you is, well, we're limited and obviously, obviously mm -hmm. we're limited and right. What's God? Well, obviously you've framed it in such a way that I'd probably say God is limitless, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the obvious intuitive answer if you framed the start of the question like that. So yeah. probably I'm going to say he's limitless. And then you say to me, well, what does, what is, what does something that's limitless lack? Yeah. And the, the answer ability. is limitation. Yeah. And here we are, you know? Dude, that's the other thing that, too. That's that's that one. Even though it is, you know, technically not valid. That's right. a beautiful argument. That it's is a the, nice. Yeah, it's a, a nice narrative, I think. Yeah, uh, it's it's graceful. It's not graceful. like contrived. Very poetic in the way that it's yeah. simply uh, seeking to comport itself. Absolutely, yeah.
but like there's the idea too then that like if if we take the example that christ represents the ultimate martyr that had no sin and they killed him anyway so that's the price of perfection and then god as being the thing that did the same thing but for existence itself so Mm -hmm. god necessarily doesn't exist in order that we may in our limited form so it gave of its unlimited potential Mm -hmm. into the space of paradoxical. i feel like you'd run into some some issues with theists though oh for sure (laughs) i i just love the idea of equating god with nothingness yeah, for sure. I think uh, Nietzsche says something that I'm never quite sure how to interpret him, but he says something that's similar to that. He says, um, um, whatever is profound loves masks. Whatever is most profound even hates image and parable. Yeah. Um, Dude, and then awesome. he says, and then he says one more thing. He says, um, what is it? I think it's uh hmm I th- I'm not sure if I'm doing the negation properly but it's something like would not nothing else be the proper disguise for the shame of a god Hmm that is interesting and, and what I take that to mean there's a couple of things it could mean but what I think it probably uh means is that like um if there was a god right, then he would be the most profound thing. Okay. And so it would be, like, natural for us to always get it wrong because he would be so profound that he would hate even uh, representation, even if it wasn't good representation. Being represented, he would despise it because it would yeah. mean that his profundity was limited. Yeah, dude. That's, right? I, I and, so that... then, and so then it says, like, um it's sort of like along the lines that you said right it's like um would not nothing else i think that's what it is but it's basically like wouldn't like the non-existence of god be the proper disguise for the shame god has for the fact that we know him that he actually isn't there you know like you can say he exists and that shames him so he's not actually there so that you cannot shame him yeah, dude, that's a really, really nice way to put it, actually. Mm, yeah, it's a very interesting idea. And I've, I've explored it in terms of um, kind of extruding the story of how that would take place as uh, the story behind God Debris or God's Debris by Douglas Adams. Or is mm, it definitely. Douglas? Scott Adams, I'm sorry. I'm not, yeah, I think it is Scott Adams. I think you've recommended that I read it a couple of times, but I haven't got around to it yet. It's, it's just a really poetic once again way of putting i mean what would be blasphemy in catholic terms or the ultimate sin because like suicide is such a a bad thing in catholic eyes that uh that god would kind of sacrifice itself in a kind of self-suicide and in that explosion we would just call that the big bang and then the reconstitution of awareness to observe that explosion. That's pretty interesting, man. That's a fascinating idea. It's a really nice and beautiful, what I call ontology. It sounds call, very nice. Like, just, I mean, I don't think it's true, but it sounds appealing yeah, to the mind. Totally, man. It's a compelling narrative. Mm, definitely. And I think it 
can be communicative in terms of how some of the mystery that surrounds the enigma of existence, as it were. Absolutely, uh, man. That there would be some narrative instruction that we could glean from that, that would mean, okay, like if we view the, the coalescing of minds that are in kind of instrumental harmony, that they could form a good, good enough band to start playing together. Mm-hmm. And that those things would be the things that could realize what took place in that act of self-destruction and notice how it is that humanity in its present form is kind of possibly even a mere example of what led an all-knowing entity to do such a thing so that it could have the type of freedom that we experience as humans. It's a, it's a very interesting idea. Like, obviously, I don't accept that we do have such freedom. But, like, I don't either, in terms yeah. of, like, um, you know, uh, constructing a compelling narrative that seeks to justify it, I definitely think that it sounds very interesting. That's why I love that book. But it's, um, it's one of those things where, like, what you said about that quote with, with Nietzsche, it, it's like, I take on the preference that he's describing God to have as like use a parable, but to attach to it or use a representation, but to attach to it, that's the, that's the sin, so to speak. And that ultimately there would be a way to know how to interface with the ultimate truth of reality, but that our way of talking about that thing, if it didn't constantly update for the new information that humanity was um, overcoming its limits with more functional tools to help it kind of carry the burden of the information load. Um, Mm -hmm. As we updated our understandings, we would see in time, like I can look back on my writings and see where I just subconsciously used the word free will because I didn't think there was any problem with such a thought Mm -hmm. that we would be able to look at the kind of, journal of humanity as the the history of philosophy and all the mistakes that we made along the way were so instructive to helping us understand the ever i guess the ever more shit i lost the words but the way that we can approximate truth in an ever clearer way Mm -hmm. would be by virtue of the fact that we made so many mistakes along the way I definitely agree with that. And I, I like I fundamentally believe that it's a true statement to say that the path to what is true is paved with what is not. Yeah. Yeah. There's that's how we outline the contour of it at least. Definitely, yeah. Um uh, that was a you had a meme today. <laughs> uh mm-hmm. it was a black hole one. Uh, the event oh, horizon. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> You're my property now. Yeah, my dude. That's funny. That's a good one. I had not even seen that meme before, but it was like... Me either. A, yeah. I like Seems it. like a pretty recent one. But it's a funny one to install there. Just I didn't mean to, but it came to mind right then. Oh, definitely. I shared like a couple of the data logical memes you made with um Dark Master a bit earlier. Oh, nice. Dude, I should... Yeah, I was thinking I should throw some of those in there. For... Definitely. You, you should cook up some more, man. I think cook up some more it. of them memes, you know? I, I, them I memes. Them. Get them memes, boy. Exactly, mate. 
Yeah, dude. Well, that's what I'll try and do with some of these things that we talk about. They'll percolate in there and the ones that kind of rise to the top. I'll, I'll shoot you some For words sure, and dude. some images and we'll see what happens. Absolutely. I mean, I still have to reply on that Facebook group. I cannot believe how slack I actually am in real life. It's crazy. It, def- <laughs> it literally defies belief. I just can't. Well, I imagine this kind of ends up feeling like priority because it has at well, least... Well, yeah, but I mean, still, you know, like, it's just shit. It's just shit of me and I'm just shit. I can't figure out how to not be <laughs> shit. It's ridiculous. Uh, I don't know how to give you advice there either because fundamentally, man, it's like I I have to see it as um, somewhat like destiny. Mm-hmm. Like I, this is a weird, it might be an equivocation. But weird flex, like, but okay. Yeah, let's have it that way. So if, if everything that happens is, is destined, so to speak, and Every choice that we make, it could be no other way. Every in, mm-hmm. inaction or non-action, not unchoice, what have you. All that is the way it should be for some future get-to-be-determined state to our perception. Uh, if we look at destiny as the thing that is obvious in hindsight, mm-hmm. Maybe. That's one way to put it. I can find a way to justify every fucking lazy thing or flaky thing. Who can't, though, you know? Yeah. And that's the I thing. Think that's, that I think that's, that's the basic standard that I use. It's like, is this different from the sort of thing that I notice other people doing, which I don't really like? And it's like, no. But then it's like, okay, so how not to do it? Hmm. <laughs> Nothing's coming to mind. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, part of the problem is that, like, there's a lot of shit that I want to do, but I happen to be a lazy piece of shit. So when it comes to actually doing all that stuff, I happen to say to myself something along the lines of, I can just do it tomorrow. Yeah. You know? And, like, um, when I haven't done that, like, when I've, like, planned a lot of shit, what happens is that, like, it'll take longer than I've estimated, probably because I'm not very good at being prepared or whatever. Or double booking. Yeah, or then I'm, I'm like, I struggle with punctuality, you know. There's, like, lots of reasons that come together to form the unreliability, but ultimately it is the same thing um, in the interactions, which is that, like, I say that I will do X and then I just don't do X, and it's not exactly (laughs) because I don't mean to. It's, like, because I don't... I haven't figured out how to, like, mean it properly, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even... It's hard to describe. Do you think that it might be a, a thing about priority? I think, no, it's, yeah, partly, but okay. it's more like it's the, that I haven't yet made it a priority to, um, like, solve the fact that I get distracted and that I'm not punctual because, like, there's a lot of other important things going on in my head, you know what I mean? And, like, when it comes to, like, fixing the wrong things, I focus on, like, the function of my thoughts and, like, whether or not they're accurate before I focus on, like, how effectively I'm implementing them, if you know what I mean. So let me mirror that because I think I do something similar. Um, it's like I can't put a piece of IKEA furniture together unless I've imagined kind of. Unless you've imagined sequence. it. Yeah, unless I imagine it first and wrap my mind around it. Oh, fully. as in like you do it wrong otherwise? Yeah, 
Like I'll absolutely. End up doing... I just do it wrong. I don't even like bother because I can't imagine properly. I literally every time I'm doing IKEA furniture, it's like I put it half together and it's like fucking hell. I have to start again, <laughs> and then I'll you know I'll get three quarters of the way through and it's like God fucking damn it, yeah. gotta start again. That is weird to hear, man. Because that will, I. That's why I imagine so they don't have to redo it twice. But I can't. I can't imagine it properly. It doesn't. I work. know that's. One of your my things. brain doesn't doesn't do that. <laughs> it doesn't render it. No. Yeah. Third eye blindness. Mm-hmm. It's more like I can't like I can like follow instructions. I'm just not very good at mentally constructing um a methodology yeah. like in terms of like on the spot. What I'm very good at doing is refining a methodology that I'm talking about until it's not wrong. At that's all. what I love. But I'm not very good at immediately proposing how to do something. I'm Dude, very good at we... getting to a good conclusion, not having a good conclusion. I think that's why we kind of work together. Like, because mm-hmm. I'm really good at sketching unfinished methodologies. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, you, you have a lot of good conclusions that you're not quite sure how to justify, right? Uh, and, well, I have a lot of starting ideas that I well, think I are think good sometimes i have decent conclusions but they're 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 somewhat kind of parkoured through if you will i think that that... the thing about your conclusions is that um they're good but they're not right if you know what i mean (laughs) i think i do know what you mean right like it's a good it's a good attempt you're doing it properly but you you uh, like You've not got the correct answer and the reason that you haven't got the correct answer is that you didn't have anyone to instruct you on what 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 was incorrect do you know what i mean like uh, that's right i've been self-correcting yeah and I've yeah started. ultimately uh, like i'm not someone who self-corrected do you know what i mean i'm someone who like tried very hard to self-correct but ultimately relied on my smartest friends to self-correct me while i was uh like focused on producing revolutionary thoughts so it's like um you know i have like this this idea and it's like the thing that I'm doing is not um, self-correcting it. It's like I'm explaining to you why it seems correct to me and asking you to tell me if I, if you stop following me and if we get to the conclusion and you haven't stopped following me, maybe it's correct. And the more people I tell, the more compelling that case becomes. Do you know what I mean? Right. That's, it's a really just such a stroke of insight that you came upon a way to kind of communicate to that space. Yeah, and then definitely, kind of man. Back it with a, a little bit of uh, the structure of consistency that mm-hmm. you would need in order to make the words mean what you're intending them to mean. For sure, yeah. And like, if people used words the way that you have, I don't, I don't doubt that clarity would be kind of a byproduct of that. I think in general that's true, but I feel like most. A lot of people who are speaking rigorously think that they are speaking with sufficient rigor when they're not. And so it's kind of hard to tell the difference between someone who thinks they're talking properly and someone who is. Well, do you think that that's because you have like a healthy dose of agnosticism kind of running through your veins? Um, No, I think it's probably because um, the fact that I'm so confrontational, the fact that I am not agreeable in any, you know not at all agreeable means that like um i'm like 
most of the time when I'm talking, I am isolating myself from other people. And so I have like consciously built a process wherein the people who I don't isolate myself from, I'm like using them to check my work to make sure that I'm still making sense because I recognize that the way that I talk is isolating in a way where maybe my ideas are wrong, but no one's there to tell me. That's what I think we are both kind of hoping for in terms of a counter argument against laziness <laughs> that would compel us out of the pit of comfort that it kind of, uh, it's just, it, it, it's a cozy spot for me, man. And I could go through a whole host of bullshit reasons that my wife rejects every time. Yeah, uh, definitely. <laughs> There's the thing, like it is isolating to find a way to make yourself right. Um, in a kind of absolute individualist way. Mm-hmm. Definitely, man. And like, I'd, I'd love to actually, have you written more on that, on that topic? Um, yeah, I have a bit, but like, it's not sufficient that like it would be, you know, I, I, I want to do more than I have, so I'm not really comfortable. Like, sure, because I think because like, uh, I've been talking about it but I haven't done anywhere near the amount of work that would be reflected by the things that I have learned recently. Right. Right. So like, it doesn't seem appropriate to like consider what I have so far, what I will have, because I'm sure it'll change in such a way that maybe it won't even look like what it is. It's funny, man, because from the first moment that we met till now, you're one of not only the fastest learning people, uh, like everything that we've talked about, you and I have influenced each other's ability to update the way that we are kind of um, making sense out of things. Yeah, definitely. Like, in a way, I've wished for that kind of process with at least one other human on this planet. And I said to myself, like, let me back up a bit from the first moment that I've kind of experienced what I call enlightenment Mm -hmm. to now, the knowledge of that experience, the the qualia, if you will, was unchanged. Mm -hmm. It's the same static image Mm -hmm. that we basically call the omniverse at this point. Mm -hmm. And my understanding and ability to English that one static download has not changed. Absolutely, yeah, I would definitely agree. Has changed, mm-hmm. but that's just because I'm getting better at, you know, not contradicting. Absolutely, the, yep. All the points that are needed to even try to start an expression that explains all of that. So, when I got that, I it's as if I said there will be something that's going to cut through all the bullshit. No coincidence that your last name is a cut. Uh, <laughs> and wouldn't that be a hectic coincidence though? It's a, what'd you, what'd you call it? A hectic coincidence, mate. Hectic. Yeah. As in like intense. <laughs> I love that. It's a, a very intense coincidence. Like that's why I have a hard time not thinking humorously about things because it, I mean, that's the synchronicity or the serendipity of my life experience. If I were to recount it from 
like the private chambers where I isolate myself away from everyone in that kind of absolute individualist sense, if I share that part of myself with you or with my wife, that's kind of the, or my best friend, John, um, that's kind of the extent of who I feel is either a capable of understanding what I'm saying or be said, I mean, this may be an asshole thing to say, but I, I mean to say worthy of hearing that part of me. And I don't know why I think that way about it. Worthy as in, as in, should I waste my time trying to explain, you know, the sum hmm. totality of it so all? So it's not exactly worthy. I'm not sure. Not exactly what worthy. Even. Okay. Um, I think Capable? what you mean is like no. Hmm, that's what you said that already, but it's more like, um, it's the opposite. Like it's the. I don't know if it's the opposite. It's it's some people cannot be helped. That's what it is. Yeah. There's um, a pearls before swine connotation to it. I'm not too sure exactly what the correct word is, though. I don't know if I have a word for it. But uh, there's one that's coming to mind is Dane. That I Dane it appropriate or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems inappropriate to share this part of myself Oh, okay, so maybe what you're saying is that uh, it's not prudent. Yeah, it might be. It might just be the thing that's off-putting or an overshare. Mm -hmm. Because like prudence is about like caution and like whether or not it's the best decision and being unsure about that. And you're saying like um, because some people will a like well they'll either like alienate you for the topic or yeah. they will completely miss the point and if you mm -hmm. can determine that beforehand then the better choice is not to waste your time on them even though that seems condescending what you're talking about is like the actual functional act of investing time into something which has no productive conclusion which is by definition a waste it, precisely then thank you that's like so that that's what affords me to justify. Mm -hmm. I think, though, you're not saying that they're not worth your time. I think you're saying no. prudent not to waste time talking to them about specific subjects. Because you can kind of sum up their values as mm -hmm. not being compatible with that type of yeah, information. Yeah, and I think that's a pretty fair statement, realistically. Okay. Well, I do too, man. But like, what this ends up justifying for me in terms of a course of behavior that I'm almost unwilling to change for many people is that here I will be okay with wearing, you know, a set of seven different masks that okay. are similar, similar to my deepest true sense of self, but they're not it. And people end up falling in love or befriending a carbon copy of what I actually am. Is it a carbon copy? Doesn't that mean an exact copy? Well, that's not the right word then. They're, they're... I'll just make sure that I'm right about that. But I thought it was... No, I, I'm, I'm meaning to say something that's like a simulacrum, perhaps. Uh, a sim, sim, simulacrum, or whatever it is. That's, yeah, however you pronounce that word. Yeah, I don't uh, know. Sim, simulacrum, it must yeah. be? I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. That's better than... Um, 
what was it better than carbon copy for sure because yeah. a carbon copy is like something you get like that's what the cc of an email is and it is an exact uh, copy of the thing yeah yeah and then what did you look up simulacrum or however it's pronounced yeah 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 which is like a representation or imitation of a thing imitations seems, that's yeah. it they get an imitation of my true self mm-hmm. oh and that's I, oh well really isn't it like uh what would it be um a manifestation within like a limited scope yeah it's not exactly an imitation it's like you you are actually like mm, misrepresenting the boundaries of your actual self so that yeah. to, to promote social cohesion to some degree yeah and in a way i just i minimize myself mm-hmm. and it, it, in a way that's not unlike the whole closeted feeling that accompanies much of the civil rights movements that humans have gone through but this one just seems so like if i were to come out of the closet about this true essence of who it is that i am as a this whatever just the satiety let's just say that much right there um and then really make a stand for it it just feels like humanity is nowhere near ready for that kind of uh campaign if you will so i don't even waste my time with it at the present moment. It might be something a hundred years from now that becomes relevant to the value set Maybe. preferences that humans... I mean, I have higher hopes for us, honestly, but you know, I can understand I where you're coming from. That's like a part of my kind of... Hmm, I don't even know if it's... It's not a depression. I've found a way to repurpose my whole kind of depressive uh, space, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's like I can do philosophy in the place where normally depression would take place. <laughs> That's pretty uh, interesting. It's a funny, yeah, like it's an upgrade for sure because I don't, mm-hmm. I don't um, recoil from anything that would be depressing now. But yeah, I, I, I tend to kind of, when you wait around for a decade to find someone to talk to at the campfire that you're sitting around that, you're just muttering to yourself about as a mm-hmm. characterization of what it feels like I've been doing for the past 10 years or more privately in my own head. Mm-hmm. Um, when someone finally shows up and they're fucking present and they know as much, if not more and can teach you all the things that you've made mistakes on, you just, for me personally, without like externalizing it too much, I just go, was that really so difficult? Like all the things that I experienced in the past decade or so, it doesn't seem as such that it was. Mm-hmm. The words don't seem like they were incoherent. But the recipients of my words ended up feeling like I wish I could have just had a mat. 10 years ago, but I wouldn't have been ready for it. You know what I mean? I don't know if you wouldn't have been ready for it, but I do kind of know what you mean, yeah. Like, do you remember when you first started uh, kind of spreading what you were spreading DM theory through uh, the McKenna group? Mm-hmm. And that was a it. Point- not, not, a, not a good, uh, not a very good experience. And I'll tell not very open minded in that group, let me tell you. Dude, it's kind of concerning. I reckon. 
but it was i remember you said something like this is going to go sometime like it's going to what sorry th- that it would go viral that this oh, yeah. theory of everything it's it's a matter of time before it goes viral and i mm-hmm. i agree but i think at that time you you misestimated the, oh yeah probably yeah yeah and i think it's I was, because I was were, a bit sorry go you you were still kind of coming down from the realizations of it yeah, probably. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, definitely. And so high on the fumes of enlightenment, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, you misestimated the time frame in which that the virality of DM theory could take place. It's a common mistake that I think every human ends up having to make at least once, but it ends up helping you orient your kind of sense of time in terms of the social time that humans are going to end up being able to adopt the novelty that visionary states and you know profound spaces where logic is able to accommodate like that is such a a confusion buster if you can bring logic into a space where normally mysticism prevails and mm-hmm. people are like able to do these kind of um like we said, mental gymnastics that allow them to peer in the place where knowledge usually, you know, they, they hold this, the architecture of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And the people that don't know, listen, because they want to know. But if you have a way to arbitrate between that, well, the jig is up. The, the entire game that's predicated on unexamined assumptions, which is substantial across culture, Mm-hmm. and across time quite literally the jig is up and you translate that message across all the dialectics on all, on all the dialects of our planet you eventually get what i was told as a kid the spreading of the good news to all the nations and then the end would come mm-hmm. so it's like it's an interesting way to look at it right yeah like language would be the thing that saves and or the thing that just destroys because we don't mm-hmm. align. If we can't align on a basis such as DM theory is at least trying to represent, I don't see the efforts of humanity to try to intertranslate from custom frames of reference such as gauge sy- symmetry mm-hmm. uh, or uh, such as that suggests. I don't see that as the answer. I see it as a band-aid approach or it would work provisionally but as an enduring kind of everlasting truth we can't even get close unless people get to this place where a conversation like this is even entertainable yeah i would definitely agree with that and how abstract must it sound to people that don't know what we're talking about very i would say yeah extremely like I'm finding for me personally how much you're willing to meet me in the clouds. Uh, almost like a Dolly elephant. Like Salvador Dolly, the artist. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're willing to stretch your legs up into the clouds to come sit with me as I pretend to meditate. Pretend to meditate.
Yeah, some ways no, I definitely me. think um, I definitely think that like part of it is that you have such a vivid imagination that you can't can't tell the difference between what you're imagining and what you're not in some sense. Yeah. Which which part which of it is? is? You know, the exact, that's the exact opposite of the thing that I have, which is like I can't imagine things. So the only way for me to represent them is to say that they well they make sense, so they have to be true, right? Right. So direct. So direct that most people will deflect. <laughs> <laughs> That's too quick. I want my truth to be long-winded. Don't you know it, man? <laughs> Sometimes people think that, too. I know I, know. I do. It's something that like, I've encountered a lot. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you hearing any of this out anyway. It's all good, man. I think we've got like more than enough for a pretty sick recording, pretty sick couple of recordings. Nice. Yeah. Let's. I'll see if um, David Sanderson has anything he wants to say. Oh, is he in here? Mm hmm. You can unmute yourself, man. Okay. Hello? How's it What's going, up, man? man? Uh, no, I wanted to ask a question. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you think that the problem with the explanation of DM theory is that people aren't intelligent enough to comprehend it or that the language is so foreign? Neither of those things is true. It's just that, like, uh, to begin with, it seems a bit ridiculous. And, like, to get you to invest the, enough time in it to actually have, like, understood what it's about... Um, it's pretty hard because it, it seems ridiculous. Like the idea that someone can come up with a theory that actually does explain everything is inherently ridiculous. Yeah, I agree with hmm. that. So, you know, like it's just basically that like your inherent skepticism, you know, sort of like tells you, <laughs> you know, like... If you don't understand it, and it sounds like it's probably bullshit, it's probably bullshit. That's basically what's going on. Mm -hmm. And like, so you dismiss it before you have properly understood it on the basis that you think you do understand it, but you probably don't. It's not, well, that, uh, you, it's not, it's not that you're not intelligent enough to understand it. It's that you haven't put the effort in yet that would be required. And like, when you tell me what you think it is, and I say, well, that's wrong, that pretty much proves that you haven't understood it. Well, have you, like, debated people on the subject? Like, in person? Yeah, of course. Of course, yeah. Dude, the dude who wrote it, and I, like, sorry, I like, I, like, wrote it down, but, like, the dude who created it with me, Chris, like, he and I have had, like, hundreds of hours worth of argument on the topic. So much. That's how we developed it, is we argued about it uh, until we finally agreed about what we thought. No, I mean, like, explaining it to, like, people on the streets or something like that. Like, on have the you streets, ever... like a preacher. <laughs> well, not necessarily. Um, look, yeah, I tell the people I know in real life. Yes. I tell all of the intelligent people I ever meet. I tell them and I say, can you tell me what, what's wrong with it? And they always say the same thing. They either say no or they say I'm not qualified to give an answer on this topic. That's hmm. the conclusion. 
Okay, to begin with, they often disagree with it. They say that's wrong. But the thing is, you have to walk them through this dance, which is like, okay, well, like you think it's wrong, but like until you can tell me why it's wrong, it's a bit unfair for you to just randomly assert that it is wrong. If you if you can't even justify that claim, probably keep it to yourself until you can. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you could talk to some like professors, people a little higher up on the rungs. Yeah, but still, everybody who you show it to is like, well, this looks correct, but also probably isn't. So I'm not willing to tell you that it is correct. I'm going to say, like, I'm not properly specialized because very few people in my country are properly specialized to assess it. Hmm. You should try coming to America. There's a lot of argumentative people here. <laughs> Kind of. I'm sure there is, my dude, but are they the correct kind of argumentative? They're kind of opinionated. Yeah. They are, though. That's not the correct kind, though. The correct kind of argumentative person is an educated one, not an opinionated one. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, it kind of seems... Sure about it. I mean, I haven't been to a lot of other countries, but it seems maybe that uh, America is a little bit more Aristotelian. I don't know. Um, first of all, as far as I can tell, that name would be pronounced Aristotelian. Oh. Um, <laughs> I've heard but it, like, <laughs> I don't really understand like where you're getting that from exactly. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's it, it's because of like the different like di compared to the East, I think we get our philosophy from like different sources. Yeah, I mean, compared to the East is the rest of the West as well. You know, like not just America, man. My country is a Western country. You know, like compared to the East, isn't particularly differentiating. Hmm. Like, you made a claim about America, not West. Or Western philosophy, yeah. or Western society. Hmm, interesting rebuttal. What do you mean? Nothing, man. It's just a bit of a meme, you know?